The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Let's turn to the Word. If you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them? Would you open with me to the book of Revelation this morning? Um, <clears throat> Revelation. I, I'm excited for this morning because we're starting a brand new journey, uh, not through the whole book of Revelation by any means, but for through the first or the chapter two and chapter three of this incredible book. Over the next seven weeks, in fact, we are going to look at the seven churches that come out of these chapters here in Revelation. Um, now, uh, quickly, I would imagine that when you heard Revelation, there are two types of people in this room. Some of you are like, yes, pastor, thank you. Let's get deep and let's talk about it. It's going to be wall charts. Put them up. Like you're, gonna, you're all over it. You're going to invite friends. But that's not the only person in the room because I would imagine that there are others who said, come on, pastor. Wall charts, you know, all that stuff, like, uh, okay, so both of you, just as your pastor, calm down. <laughs> calm down. We're going to come to the, I know Revelation, it can be woo, polarizing. There's very few people who are neutral about this book. It, it can be polarizing, um, but I believe that this text for us over the next several weeks is going to be really important for, for our church, because in this, we're going to see the heart of Christ for his church. In this, in a very real way, we are going to see how much Jesus cares for his church and how Jesus, it matters what we do and don't do as his church together. And we're going to see his heart on display. I think we're going to be encouraged and challenged, and I think uh, we might have a few of our blind spots revealed through this. I can't wait for this time. Now, let me give a baseline quickly for some context here about what we're about to step into. So the book of Revelation was written by John. By the way, it's Revelation, not Revelations. One Revelation, so not plural. Um, and the book of Revelation was, was written by John. John is the same as the, the, the writer of, of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He is disciple of Jesus, the one that the Scripture says was loved by Jesus. Um, this is John who wrote this book. And he wrote this while he was in exile on a small island called Patmos, which is beautiful. I looked at pictures. It's not a bad place to be in exile, um, but a beautiful little small island there um, in the Aegean Sea. And, and here's the reality. As we look at Revelation, what we're going to notice is that John is so many times and in so many ways a middleman. Uh, so what I mean by this is this letter is directly from Jesus for John to the churches. Okay, so John is kind of this middle man here. And what Revelation is, in its simplest form, if you boil it all down, Jesus is the main and primary character of this book, the big and primary focal point of this book. When you read Revelation, if you don't come away saying, wow, Jesus is king, he is incredible, church, you're doing it wrong. 
Jesus is primary in this book. And, and in reality, here's what we see. We see Jesus came, Jesus is coming again. And in here in the middle, Jesus tells John, hey, grab your pen and a book, because I have a message for my church. I have a message for my, my church. And so Revelation, for example, 1 in, in verse 11 says, write what you see, Jesus says, in a book and send it to the seven churches. Right? He's, he's give it to them. Now, real quickly here, um, you're going to see seven churches. You're going to see Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. All right? You're going to see these churches throughout this, this letter. And I know, I know that people come to Revelation and they read it differently. They, they come to different conclusions about what could be happening here. I, I get it uh, for some, especially when it comes to these seven churches. So for some, you're going you're gonna to read these churches and be symbolic. These represent ages of the church, and it's going to be kind of symbolic through church history. For others, you're going to go, no, no, these are real churches, real people, um, in a real place in time. Okay, so listen. I have a, a great deal of respect for the scholars who have poured over this, come before us, um, even the ones who see this differently than, than I do. But for the sake of our time here, um, let me just say two things to set us up for these seven churches. Number one, um, I believe these are very real churches. Real churches, real people, real congregations, real time, real space, real cities, really happened, just as real as you and I are here. Each of these churches were named after seven cities, very important cities, we'll get to that later, um, there, that existed in the time that John wrote this letter. All of these churches, all seven of them, were from Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey, and all of them were, were very strategic cities. They were all important, real people with real pastors, real people, real congregations, with real struggles and real challenges, and here's what happens. Jesus speaks directly to these people in their challenges. That's on the one hand. On the other hand... Um, with each of these churches, as we look at these churches, you and I are going to see some common threads. We are going to see some tendencies and struggles that are going to really seem familiar. Uh, we are going to see ourselves in this text. We are going to see so many things that are not only common to us, 2021, almost said 22, we're not there yet, um, Sono Bible Church but we are going to see things that are common to the American church. We are going to see things that are going to hit us between the eyes. Some things, some common struggles. And so with this, as we see ourselves in these churches, we are going to see the heart of Jesus for his church in these chapters. So here in this, these chapters, Jesus calls out John, says, grab your pen, grab your book. I have a message for my people. I have a message for my church. And so John hears this, and as we get into our text, specifically here in chapter 2, John, as he hears this, the text says he also sees something. And this becomes important. What does he see? He sees seven stars and seven lampstands. Revelation loves imagery. And, and he, when he hears Jesus and when he sees this, he is completely overwhelmed, and he just... You got to hear this. So verse 17 of chapter one says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Like, that's so cool. 
That's not that he felt like he died, but that this was John who walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, friend of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, and here that same John is knocked on his face in awe of Jesus. That is awesome in the truest sense of the word, awesome. But Jesus seeing this, he lays his hand on him, he says, and he says, fear not, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of death and Hades. We can preach on that. But this is our Lord. This is Jesus talking here. And then listen to this. He says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Write down the things that are happening presently and the things that are going to happen future for my people, my church. And then he gets into the mystery here. Verse 20, he says, for the mystery of the seven stars you saw at my right hand and those seven lampstands. Jesus is like, let me, let me tell you what they mean. He says, the seven stars are the angels. Angels here, it's, it's a word, angelos. It means messenger, most, and I, and I agree with this. I believe this is a reference, direct reference to the pastors, the elders of these churches. And he says, the seven stars are these messengers, angels, angelos, and the seven lampstands, he says, are the seven churches. So, so get this. So here's what we're seeing here. Jesus is giving a message to John, who is to give the message to the pastors, who are to give the message to the congregations. See that? That's what this, these letters are. Um, and so what follows here in chapters 2 and 3 are Jesus' direct messages to these churches, like report cards for these churches. That's what we're going to see here. And, and we get to start our first church is Ephesus. Ephesus. So the first verse of chapter 2 says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? And, and listen to this. He says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Do you remember what those were? This is Jesus holding the pastors. He says, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Do you remember who those were? Those are the churches. This is Jesus. So Jesus loves and cares for his church. Not just you and your, your personal, you know, private Jesus. But church, Jesus cares and loves for his love is for us, collectively united as his people together, his church. He says he holds the seven stars, pastors, elders in his hands. Praise God that Jesus holds pastors in his hand. This pastor, for one, is very grateful for that fact. He holds the seven stars and he walks among the seven golden lampstands, meaning he's present with us. He's here with us, walking with us, being with us. Whatever the world has to offer, whatever life throws at us, Jesus holds us and is present with us, church. That is awesome. And we are invited into that. How beautiful is that? And I know that this language of kind of belonging and, and community, it, it kind of sounds somewhat foreign for a really individualistic society that we have become. I get, I get that. We love Lone Ranger Christians. We love to think that we're good with just me, myself, my Bible, my Jesus. I'm good, 
right? We, we, we kind of think in terms, but here's the reality. Jesus has a better plan for you than that. I don't know how else to tell you this. He has a better plan for you than that. We are called together. And Jesus says, I'm there walking among you. And then he turns, verse two, listen to this. He says, I know your works, church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Jesus here starts with two positives. He says, he sees two things in this church. First, he says, he commends this church for their patient endurance. Like, they were not flaky. They were not in one week, out the other. They were not, they endured together. They knew that it took patience. They knew that God, the work of God is a, is a, is a, a long race, not a sprint. They knew this. They, they knew that the gospel takes time to take root. They knew this. They knew the gospel required time in. Commitment, patience, perseverance, endurance. And listen, this is just as true today as it was for them. Just as true today. There's no silver bullet. Discipleship is not like a one-time instantaneous application. Sanctification is not like, boom, I did it. I'm sanctified. No. That's not what scripture says. Scripture, it, it, growing in Christ, kingdom work, God's movement in us is patient work. It's long haul work. You want to grow in Christ? It's going to take the rest of your life. It's going to take the rest of your, your life. Here at Stone Oak Bible, our commitment is for the long haul. It's for the long haul. Our mission, as I've already said, is to make disciples. That's what we do. And, and listen, our strategy for accomplishing that is not quick. It's not, it's not, it's not quick. It's, it's, it's lasting, though, and it's real, and sometimes it is slow. But may we be like the church in Ephesus and be patient and endure together. That's the first thing Jesus sees. The second thing is Jesus commends this church for knowing and protecting right doctrine. This is big. I mean, Jesus says, hey, you can't bear with those who are evil. You call it like it is. You, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and they're not, and you have found them to be false. This is who you are. You've protected doctrine. You have the ability to test what is right and what is wrong. And Jesus commends this church for this. Uh, there's an old saying that the way that you train someone to spot counterfeit is not to have them study all the counterfeits, right? To just spend your time with all the, the counterfeits. No, the way you train someone to spot counterfeits is you let them study and know the real thing so that they're able to spot what is not. They're able to see what has, it, 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 the big details and the small, they're able to know, no, 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 that's not right. Church, this is what, this is the church of Ephesus. This is who they were. They were, they knew the right things. They knew the right doctrine. They had strong doctrine, and Jesus commends this church for this. I've heard it said that, you know, Pastor, we don't need doctrine, doctrine divides. What we need is love. We need to love each other all the time, all the time, all the time. 
Um, and I get that. I really do. I get the heart behind that. In fact, we're going to talk a lot more about that here in a bit. Um, but I don't want us to rush past the fact that Jesus here commends this church for their ability to defend the faith. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. I pray again that Stone Oak Bible Church would be this kind of church that is able to know what is right, what is true, and to be able to defend the faith, that we would be patiently enduring in gospel work. I pray that Jesus would look at us and give us this kind of report card, that we would be like them in these things. But here's the, the reality. There's a but in this text, but there is a but in verse 4. And um, listen to what Jesus says. He says, but... I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. This is a profound statement. The question is, is it possible to know all the right things, to do all the right things, and to have a love problem, to have a heart problem? What on earth could it mean that they had abandoned their first love. What is that? Well, here's what I want us to do. I'd like for us to take, just to pause, and I'd like for us to take a short, short journey that might help us a little bit here. Um, I don't know what that is. I hope you guys can hear that. Um, but let's take a short journey here to help us understand and kind of get our bearings on this church. Uh, one of my favorite things about the church in Ephesus is we can know so much about them. So with me, you don't have to turn with me here, but if you want to, um, put your finger here and flip over with me to the book of Acts. Um, Acts 18, we are going to get a glimpse of how this church got started. Acts 18 shows us a story, and this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, honestly. Um, but there's a, it all starts in 18, where there is a man named Apollos, and he is an excellent teacher teaching. He came to Ephesus, and he was teaching, and he was, he's killing it. Great teacher. Um, I'm summarizing here, but you can know where I'm getting it as you look at your Bible. Um, but here's the thing about our man, Apollos. He only knew about what John the Baptist taught, and he didn't know how it connected to Jesus. So he was teaching John the Baptist without drawing the line that John the Baptist would have drawn to Jesus. So he was, he was teaching it, but it, it wasn't, he, he didn't know the full story of Jesus and didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And, but here's the deal. This powerful teacher, he sets the stage for Paul who God used in a mighty way. So Paul here comes to Ephesus and he picks up right off of Apollos' his work and he picks up and he points to Jesus and he says, you know what he's been saying? Like, that was about Jesus. Let's, let's talk now about Jesus. And the Lord did incredible things. In, in chapter 19, God is moving. We read in verse five, they, they, hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Paul lays his hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin speaking in tongues, prophesying. Listen to verse seven, church. There were about 12 men in all. And so it began. I don't know if I've told you how much I love starting churches. I love church planting. I love it. This is church planting right here. 
this is church plan. It starts, what starts with 12 will impact an entire city. So Paul keeps preaching. They faced heavy opposition for about two years. Like I said, patient work, right? Um, verse 10 says this continued for two, for, ten, or for two years so that, Paul says, all of the residents of Asia, goodness, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's pretty cool. This is before podcasts and live television. And all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. This was how this church was planted. It was planted with a heart for the gospel and a heart for the community. This is how this church was planted. And miracles were happening. And I have to share one story quickly because it's a, it's, it's a moment that changes everything. God was moving so much, miracles were happening that the people around them were seeing it and the community around them wanted to try to copy what God was doing. Don't ever do that. Um, and we get this story here in Acts 19 of the sons of Sceva. Um, this is cool. They see what God's doing and they thought we can replicate that and it does not go well for them. They see evil spirits and they go, I want to do what Paul did. So they go and they say, I adjure you evil spirit by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And I love, oh, this is incredible. The evil spirit answers them and says, you know, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? That is that is so cool. Who are you? And then what happens is the evil spirits, they, the, the men in whom the evil spirits were dwelling, they leap on them, master them, the text says, overpower them so that they flee out of the house naked and wounded. It did not go well for them. It did not go well. Listen, we should never try to replicate, manufacture, manipulate to try to, try to you know, do things that look like God is working. Don't do that. Here it did not go well, naked and wounded. I don't want that. But they're trying to just replicate it. But here's the deal. As they flee out wounded and, and naked, the community sees them and, and they're like, what is happening? Like this is, and they see it and it says in verse 17, this became known to all of the residents here in the city of Ephesus. This little crazy scene, both Jews and Greeks Fear fell on them, and the name of the Lord was extolled. And so here's what was happening. This small church of 12 men. This is when God changes an entire city through them. What we read in the next section is that people begin to repent and give up their evil practices. This is a city known for pagan worship. The temple of Artemis was here in this city. And there's a lot of money being made from pagan worship here in this city. Lots of money to be made. And, and here's the thing. Um, when the people came to know Jesus, they didn't need all those things anymore, did they? They were burning their books. They, were giving it all, they weren't spending their money on these things anymore. And here's what you see. The church, it's not that the church was going and standing in front of the, the, the shops selling idols and picketing them. It wasn't that they were going to the government and saying, you got to shut them down. They weren't doing that. What were they doing? They shared the gospel, and God was moving in such a powerful way, gripping their hearts, that the people just weren't interested anymore. In other words, their clientele were drying up. 
That is incredible. The, the gospel changed the city. The economy of an entire city was being shaken up because the gospel. And that was how this church was planted, with a love for God, a love for the truth of the gospel, a love for the community and the people. This is how the church was planted. Now, fast forward for the sake of time, 10 years, 10-year-old church. Paul uh, is on another missionary journey, and he writes back to this church. And uh, we're fortunate enough that we have this letter. It's the book of Ephesians in your Bible. Paul writes back to this ancient church, and um, he says a lot of things. Uh, It's an incredible book. And uh, uh, you're going to hear some of the common themes that we've already shared. But uh, right off the bat, Paul says, for this reason in verse 15, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in what? And your love together toward all the saints. So word had gotten back to Paul of their love for each other church. This was the church in Ephesus. This is who they were and how they were planted. We could say more, but listen, for the sake of our time, we're going to flip back to Revelation here, and I want you to consider the timeline. All right? This is obviously rough. I wasn't there with the exact month and date of all these things, but let me give you a rough timeline here. So the, the Ephesian church was planted around 52 to 56 AD, okay? Uh, that's when Acts 18 and 19 were taking place, okay? Then Paul writes back to this church about 10 years later. It's about 62 AD. And then our book today in Revelation, Jesus sends this message to the Ephesian church in about 96 AD. So if you're really good at math, which and you just wanted to do that in your head, this church was around 40 years old. This church was around 40 years old at this point. And something had happened in 40 years. One, they had remained patient, and they had endured in their work. They kept enduring. That was first. Two is they had remained committed to protecting right doctrine. Second, But you know what? Somewhere along the line in this 40 years, they had lost their first love. They had lost their heart. Now, I want to point something out just here in this moment. Discipleship matters. What are we passing down to the generations behind us? Right doctrine? Yes, I hope so. I want that. The ability to be patient in ministry? Yes, I want that too. But what about our affection and love for Jesus? What about our love for his word, his church, and for each other and for our community? What about our heart? We can pass on all the right things and all the right words, but we know that without love, what are we? Clanging symbols. Jesus looks at this church after 40 years of discipleship. 40 years of discipleship. Jesus looks at this church and he says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. Have we, church, lost our first love? Have we lost the affection we had at first? Actually, 
eh, scratch that. Bad question. Because when I say lost, it's like, I don't have my keys, but it's like if you lose your keys, you misplace them, whoops, accidentally lost them. That's not what the text says. What does the text say? Jesus says you have abandoned it. This is active. This is you walking away and leaving it. So the question really is, church, from this text, have we abandoned our first love? Have we walked away from the affection we had at first? It may be our affection and our love for Jesus. Maybe in this crazy political world, we have turned our love for Jesus into some political party. Maybe we have made him, turned him into some subject that we study. Maybe we have turned him into some idea that we need to defend, but there's no love. Maybe he's just a set of rules for us to live really good lives. Have we turned in? Have we lost? Have we abandoned the, the love we had for him when he first opened our eyes? When we first saw his grace. That joy that flooded our hearts, have we walked away from that? Have we abandoned maybe the love that we have had, not only for Jesus, but for his church, for each other? Listen, stick around for any amount of time in the church. Stick around, and I am sure that you and I, we're going to get hurt from time to time. We're a collection of sinners saved by grace who are bumping shoulders with other sinners saved by grace. But in light of that, have you and I, have we abandoned it? Have we walked away from the loving community that Jesus has called us into? Knowing and being known all of your warts and all, have we walked away? Have we abandoned the love we have for Christ and for his church? Have we abandoned our first love? Maybe it's Christ and the church. Maybe, though, it's our love for others in our community. For the lost, the passion we have for them to know the gospel. Listen, the world can be a frustrating place. No one loves to be on the wrong end, <laughs> to be sidelined and rejected or persecuted. It's not fun to stand out. I get it. I know that. But it could easily, in light of that, lead us to abandon our love for them. It's easier just to stop caring. So we abandon our love. Have we abandoned our, the love that we had at first for Christ, for his people, the church, or for the community? Have we abandoned our love? Have we abandoned our first love? Because here's the reality. Like the church in Ephesus, we can know all the right things. We can be patient in the ministry that we are doing. But where is our love? For us as followers of Jesus, our motivation, church, is and has to be love because without love, we are, we're nothing. We are nothing. And Jesus here examines this church and all of the rich history that it had, turning an entire city upside down. He examines this church in Ephesus. And maybe this morning, perhaps he's examining us and he says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And right in this place, 
Jesus now gives a call. And it's so simple. It's in verse 5. And this is our call this morning. In verse 5 of chapter 2 of Revelation, he says, Repent, therefore, from where you have fallen. Or remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus here basically is giving us this this three-step remedy for all of us who are prone to abandoning our first love. He says, to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. This is wonderfully simple and, 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 and so easy for us to put into practice today. So, so he says first, he says, remember. Remember. Jesus says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. The first step for this church in Ephesus is to pause and to remember. Remember what we read in Acts 19. Remember that, church. Remember what God was doing in you and through you. Remember the passion that you had for Jesus, for the church, and for the lost. Remember that. The reality is, is one of the most powerful things that we can do today as Stone Oak Bible Church is to just remember to stop and remember. One of the things that we do every week is communion. You know why we do this? Because I know you're forgetful and we need to remember. We need to remember. We need to stop no matter what the world is looking like, no matter what we're facing, no matter what is happening. I know that together we link arms and we remember Jesus. We remember We remember each week that the gospel is not only for the lost to come to know Jesus. The gospel is actually for the child of God because we're prone to forget. And we need this. We need it proclaimed regularly. We need to remember. But it's not just communion. Um, I think this is why testimony is so powerful in the church. Sharing our testimony with people. Um, Each week we have a, a meeting called a preaching meeting every week. And uh, by the way, you're all invited to that. It's, it's every week, Tuesday morning, all we do is sit and work on the text that is going to be preached the upcoming weekend. It's an open invitation. All kinds of people attend. It's wonderful. It's really good. But hear me. This week in our time together in that meeting, um, we had someone in our, in our meeting, and she shared her testimony as we were finishing. Um, she shared what God had been doing in her life. She shared how God had been working in her life. And, and listen, I will, um, let me speak for me. It caused me to remember. It caused me to remember my first love, why we are doing what we are doing here at this, this church together. Communion, testimony, these are just ways for us to stop and remember And and hear me, if you today find yourself in a place where you are dry, spiritually dry, if that's you this morning, remember. Stop and remember. You're not going to feel like remembering because you're dry, but remember. Jesus says, remember. This is the first thing he calls us to do. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember what he has done. And from that place of remembering, he gives us the second thing. He says, repent. So for this church, when their eyes were open, when they remembered, Jesus does not then say, okay, now try harder. Be better. 
Like, go and stop doing that and be better. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, remember and repent. To, to repent is to admit and to confess our sin. It's not to clean up before we come to him. It's to come to him in all of our sin, to come to him in our brokenness. Repentance is the turning. It's that moment where we come, not only that we're sorry for our sin, but that we come to him and we come as we are, we put it before him and then we turn around. And what I love about repentance as a believer Listen, we in Christ, repentance is not something we do to earn forgiveness. Repentance is not something you do to make Jesus like you more. In Christ, here's the good news. We repent because we are forgiven. We repent because he loves us. We are loved. We repent when we repent, what we get to do is come to the Lord with all of our lesser things and the sin. We get to come to him with that, put it down, and turn to greater things, and that is Jesus. This is repentance, and I don't want us to rush past this, church. Um, I know repentance is not a real hot thing to preach about uh, today. Um, I think what's kind of the tendency for us, we're fixers, and so what we typically do is we, we need to remember, yes, but then, pastor, just give me kind of the things I need to do. Give me those life principles that are going to get me where I need to be. Now, nothing wrong with life principles, but uh, don't rush. It's one of the most profound things that you and I can do the most God-honoring things that you and I can do is to just come to the Lord and repent. To repent. The life principles, they can come later, but first we start with remembering. We remember our first love. The love we have for Jesus, his church, and for our community. We remember that. And then from that place of remembering, we repent. We come in our brokenness and we lay it at his feet knowing he is faithful and just to forgive. We remember, we repent. And then the last thing, what does Jesus say? Do. He says, and do the works you did at first. Jesus says, now start doing all those things you once did. I can't help but think of a marriage relationship here. Um, when, you're, when you're new together, like maybe you're dating or you're first married, what do you do? Like you go above and beyond. Like you, you, you open the door maybe, you're generous with your time and money, um, even cheapskates like me, like we're just more generous in those, those early days. We want her to see the best version of us, right? And, um, and, and, and here's the crazy thing, it's not even a burden for us to do it. We're doing it because it's awesome. We want to do it. We're not even tired. Like, it's crazy. Like, we just want to do that. It's, it, we even call it the honeymoon stage because it's awesome. But then what can happen? Time. And all of a sudden, time passes, like days, weeks, months, years, decades. And maybe we realize that, ah, I've stopped doing some of those things that I did at first. I stopped When's the last time we had a date night? Like, when's the last time I opened a door? 
Like, and you start to think about these things. Now, here's the deal. I am not here, like, it's not that you would say that you love her less. I hope you wouldn't. Um, but it's just that maybe we've stopped doing those things we did at first. Um, she's not getting that best version of Justin that she got at the beginning, right? Um, this is not a marriage talk. Like, I'm not here to kind of make you feel guilty about your, your marriage this morning. But the marriage is a great analogy for what Jesus, to see Jesus' words in action. By the way, not just in this instance, but just as a whole, it's a great analogy. It, it, to see Jesus and in, in, in his words in action. So it's like Jesus is saying here, Justin, remember. Remember the way you loved her. Remember the honeymoon season. Then it, it's like he's saying, repent now. Apologize. Confess. Turn back to her. And it's like Jesus is saying, now, now do those things again. Start doing those things again. Here's the cool thing. Nothing what I just said here is rocket science or new. There's nothing new under the sun. This is simply back to basics. Simply back. This is no life hack, no, you know, better marriage tomorrow. No, it is simply remember, repent, and then do those things again. That's as simple as it is. It's back to the basics. Start doing what you did before. And listen, before I, I, I give us a time to, to respond this morning, I want to end with verse 5 in the warning. Jesus says this, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This call here was for the church collectively. They were to remember who they were, their love for Jesus and the church and the community and to repent and to do the things they once did. And if they didn't, Jesus said, I will remove their lampstand. Now, a lampstand is something that gives light to darkness. A lampstand is alive with the fire burning and Jesus says that will be gone. That will be no more. No more fire. No more real church. Now, surely you might gather still and you might even talk about God still, but the fire is going to be gone. This is what happens if they don't repent. Church, I pray that we will be a church quick to remember, quick to repent, that we would never be a church I want the real fire of God burning in our church, the real light shining out. Lord, would you help us to remember and to repent and to do those things we did at first.